everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow. And I'm Derek Lavasser. Today we're diving into part two of the Kendrick Johnson case. Derek, how are you feeling tonight? How are you feeling after part one? How are you feeling going into part two? I'm good. I'm ready to get into it. I know we had a lot of engagement, a lot of comments about this case. It seems like everyone's really into it, wants to hear more. We want to hear more. And it, and just so you guys know, so you're aware, if you haven't already watched, uh, listened to part one or watched it, go watch that or listen to it. And this is going to be part two, but there is going to be a part three. So understand that tonight is not going to be the last time you hear about this case. Yes. One more part after this part three, it's going to tie everything up with a nice little bow. And then we definitely want to hear from you. What do you think? Was was this a tragic accident or was it more nefarious? We're very interested to hear what you have to say. And you know what? You can also let us know at any point during any of these parts. You know, it's okay to start off with a theory and change your mind as you hear more information. But I, I do want to know what you thought even going into this, you know, from whatever you'd heard out in the media or from what you knew of the case. I want to know what your initial thoughts were and if your initial thoughts changed as we went through the case. Please let us know. Absolutely. And and I know I did an IG live a few weeks ago and I said, you know, someone said, hey, you should give away a book. I'm going to do that. Here's my book. Comment down in the comment section. Uh, comment the word undercover. If you comment the word undercover, uh, I'm going to randomly pick someone. I'll sign it and I'll send it to you. So uh, um, I'm I would word. like a, a book. You didn't ever. I don't have a book. I will be seeing you at CrimeCon and I will have a hardcover version for you. Is it going to be signed? If you'd like it signed, I'll put to my biggest fan, Stephanie no, Harlow. don't do that. Yes, yes. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing. Okay. It'll be our little joke. <laughs> It'll be our little joke. I'm going to take pictures of it. I'm going to post it online and be like, oh, love my fans. Love their support. And it's going to, yeah. We're and I also that. want you to comment undercover pineapple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, what should I make the word for this when I say it in the, you know, in the thing? She's like, pineapple. <laughs> okay. All and right, I don't know why he didn't go with that. So, I mean- Hybrid. Under, no, that's what it is now. Undercover pineapple. Undercover if pineapple. You, if you only put undercover, you will be disqualified from the, <laughs> li from the, op <laughs> from the list. So undercover pineapple. All right. Well, before we dive back into the case, I do want to go over um, the cast of characters because we're going to talk about a lot of organizations, a lot of people in today's podcast. So this will give you kind of a little, a little key of sorts so that it's easier to keep track. And it probably won't help. It's still hard. It's still hard for me to keep track of the people in here sometimes. But We'll do our best. Well, we have Jackie and Kenneth Johnson, who we mentioned in part one. Those are Kendrick's parents. And then we also, we hear a little bit from Eddie Tooley. And Eddie Tooley is Kendrick's grandfather. There's also two lawyers that we're going to talk about, C.B. King. And this seems to be the Johnson's family's main attorney. And we also have Benjamin Crump. And Benjamin Crump's a well-known civil rights attorney. You probably know him best as the head of the legal team for the family of George Floyd. Uh, that's the most relevant thing I can think of. But he's done a lot of other stuff. And he's worked with a lot of other people. He's he's very well known. And it seems like Benjamin Crump sort of just helped the Johnson family out uh, when he needed them. He was kind of there at press conferences and protests and things. And he was a, a big part of this case early on. But I do believe he stopped working with them in 2015. But we'll get into that. We also have uh, Reverend Floyd Rose, and he was part of the Valdosta Southern Christian Leadership Conference, known from now on in, in this podcast as the SCLC, because that is much easier to say. And we have Lee Touchton, uh, 
and Lee Touchton was the interim security for the local chapter of the NAACP. And we're not going to talk too much about Lee and and Reverend Rose today, but they will become more prevalent in the final part. So let's go back to the day after Kendrick was found in the rolled up gym mat at his high school. Um, And this is when the Johnson family actually enlisted Reverend Floyd Rose from the SCLC and asked if he could conduct an independent investigation. And he obviously agreed. And then the Valdosta chapter of the NAACP also got involved. And that's when Lee Touchton, who was not only the interim secretary at that time, but also a member of the NAACP legal redress team, she was chosen to lead their investigation into KJ's death. So you've got the SCLC and the NAACP local chapters, both kind of working their independent uh, sort of investigations into what happened to KJ, but also working together because these two organizations do do work closely together often. Yeah. So a lot of different entities now looking at this case, a lot of eyes on this case, which is going to be important because, you know, if they come to similar conclusions, there may be something there and, and then you may have some contradicting statements as well. So it's going to be good for you guys as you're watching, as you're listening to kind of keep all these different, you know, organizations in mind because some of them have different opinions on certain areas of this case. And you're going to have to use your own judgment to see and, and, and hear what they're saying and, and what you choose to believe. Yes. And, you know, in the aftermath of what happened to KJ, the Johnson family did make a lot of allegations. Many of these allegations we are going to cover in the final part, but we're going to talk about a couple of them today. And if uh, if there's any place where they've been debunked or where there's been sort of a controversy around the allegation, we're going to address it. We're just trying to put everything out there so that you guys can make your own decision. But some of the first allegations, they started coming out almost immediately. So there's multiple articles that I read that claimed the Johnson family were not allowed to see or identify KJ's body. And there was also a lawsuit that the Johnson family filed. And in it, the lawyer, their lawyer said that they they had asked to see his body and they weren't allowed to. But it does seem as if a request that was made by Kenneth Johnson, KJ's father, to see his son and personally identify him was granted on Sunday, January 3rd. 13th, so that's just two days after KJ was found dead in the old gym at his high school. And this was when the body was still at the Valdosta Lounge Crime Lab on Ashley Street. So it's still local. It hasn't gone to the D- the GBI yet, but the next day it's going to be transferred to the GBI. So uh, January 13th was a Sunday. KJ's body was scheduled to be taken to the GBI for autopsy the following day. Kenneth said that his handsome son looked nothing like himself, and he also made somewhat of a shocking claim. Kenneth was shown the body by James Thornton, and James Thornton is the same man who had taken uh, the pictures and the videos at the crime scene and who had stored the evidence from the crime scene in his locked vehicle. So he kind of brought him in and you know showed him around and showed him KJ's body. In a later lawsuit filed by the family, the claim is made that Kenneth felt the temperature in the room where KJ was being stored had been much warmer than he had anticipated. So this gets kind of sketchy because that's definitely in the lawsuit paperwork. But there were other claims made by the family afterwards where uh, they said the cooler that Kendrick was being stored in wasn't turned on at all. There's other claims where People said that the the temperature was actually 
turned up in the cooler. And the whole point of of saying this stuff or or thinking that they are they're seeing this stuff was that they believed there was a conspiracy to sort of speed up decomposition of KJ's body so that any evidence that was on the body would be destroyed. Yeah. And and again and again, it's an allegation, so we we there's nowhere to substantiate that. I will say from my limited experience in the, you know, these types of rooms, because again, I've I've been pre- present for a lot of autopsies, but you know, I'm usually not present where they're storing the bodies. Um, they're not independently controlled, as far as I know. So it's all it's all or nothing. Either all of the um, units that the bodies are stored in are on, or they're not. It's, and it's not a cooling. It's not an HVAC system where it's heating or cooled. It's 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 a cooler. Um, so, you know, my personal opinion is it's probably. It probably wasn't the case. It probably wasn't turned off. But again, I'm not disputing what he was saying because I wasn't there. Um, But I don't know how they would do that without um, doing it to all the bodies at that time. And maybe they did. It just seems really, it seems like it would be something that would be noticed by others if it it had taken place. And later, Lee Touchton, I hope I'm saying her name right. It's spelled that way, Touchton. But Lee Touchton actually she had um she toured this facility and she did dispute this claim and i'm also not sure that the coolers even have the ability to be made hotter you know cuz they're coolers so i don't think that um they they can be heated up they're not ovens and they're not really meant for that so i don't think that there would be an option to do that i suppose there would be an option to to not have the the coolers be cool yeah for sure yeah that makes sense yeah but you know, there's there's actually no evidence that this was the case. But again, we're you know, I understand where he's coming from. He believes that this is a conspiracy. If if he's right, if he believes that they're all colluding together, it would make sense that you would want to you know have the body decompose faster because it would destroy any evidence that that Kendrick was assaulted. Right? It would be harder to find any injuries that would contradict the cause of death being asphyxia. Not only that, but I feel like if he had been attacked, the DNA from his attacker would be on his body and maybe having the decomposition sped up would eliminate that, right? Yep. Throw off time of death as well. There's a lot of variables where if you were to believe what he's saying, it would make a lot of sense to do this. There would be a lot of reasons why you would want to do this. The question is, and again, I'm not even saying he's lying. His interpretation of the temperature might have been, oh, I expected it to be cooler because it was a refrigerator or a freezer um, and it was warmer than I thought. So he absolutely could be right where it's like, hey, it wasn't as cold as I expected it to be. But he's also not someone who's in the morgue on a, on a, a regular basis. Well, there's also discrepancies between the official statements from law enforcement and a report from first responders, including two EMTs who examined KJ's body while he was still in the gym. So evidently and allegedly, the EMTs noticed that there is a bruise on the right side of KJ's jaw. And this this bruise that the EMTs said they, they saw on his jaw, this was not mentioned in the initial autopsy done by GBI. That was something that I did see as well. And again, I saw the photos. Uh, we spoke about the photos last episode. We don't recommend going and looking at them. But if you if you're curious and you think you have the stomach for it, you know, go ahead. You're, you know, most people listening here are adults. You can, I think you can handle it, but his face was severely disfigured. 
Um, and I can tell you that the bruising to me on the face, the little, the, the changing in color that I saw was consistent with lividity. And it's when the blood settles in certain areas of the body. If Kendrick's body was upside down at the time of his death and stayed in that position for an extended period of time, you would expect to see lividity in the face. If you didn't, that would be more odd to me. So I can explain the bruising to the face, why it wasn't mentioned. It might not have been mentioned as a bruise, but it might have been mentioned as signs of lividity. Well, on this same day, January 13th, Sunday, Jackie and Kenneth, KJ's parents, they also met with Sheriff Chris Prine and some other members of law enforcement. According to the lawsuit document, Chris Prine, the sheriff, told the Johnsons that KJ had entered the mat feet first and when he bent over to pick up his shoe, he got stuck and couldn't get out. Two days after this, the family received a call from an employee at the sheriff's office, and this employee told the Johnsons that they must have misunderstood and that Sheriff Chris Prine had meant to say KJ had entered the gym mat head first, not feet first. And I think that this is fair to say that it could have been a miscommunication or a misunderstanding because there's absolutely no way that Kendrick could have gone in their feet first and bent over to pick up his shoe. There was not even enough space for him to go in to begin with. His shoulders were much broader than the mat to begin with, you know, a couple of inches. And I, I don't think that there's anybody who would have thought that that was possible. So I hope that the sheriff didn't say that. Once again, him saying that is is just it's coming from the Johnsons. They say that this is what he said. So this is one of those he said, she said situations. And you don't really know who's telling the truth. You'd have to have been there. Yeah, but I think you make a good point. It's like, is it going to change the, the the facts of the case? Too much? No, it's really not. I mean, and he, I think he I think he misspoke. I definitely think he misspoke. I get what you're saying as far as, well, if he went in feet first, it's a lot different than if he went in head first. But I think from all the photos and everyone there, I would I would I'd venture to say it was probably a miscommunication. Yeah, but if you're a family who thinks that your son's oh, yeah. death is being covered up of by course. these people, then you might look at that and say, "Oh, you lied, or yeah. you weren't honest about and how." There's his been body a lot of other found. things too. This yeah. is just one of many things. Right. We said this last episode. If it were just this conversation, probably wouldn't be covering the case right now, right? Because it would probably be a lot clearer of what happened. But it's all these things that add up to why there's a lot of people, you know, not to get off subject, we covered, this is the set part two, social media, you know, there's some people listening to us right now saying, oh yeah, this was definitely an accident. We, I knew this years ago. There's a lot of people on our social media who go, of course, this wasn't an accident. This was a murder. So don't discredit any side of it yet because there are, there are people on both sides of the aisle. This isn't just limited to Kendrick's family Absolutely by any not. means. No. You know, so so there's a lot of people out there that believe this there's something more to this story and and that's why Stephanie and I felt the need to cover it. It's not even that there's a lot of people who feel like there's something more to the story. It's hard to not feel like there is something more to the story. Even though your logical brain is like, yeah, this definitely seems like it was an accident. But all the inconsistencies and the changing stories and, you know, we're gonna get into it, things going missing, stuff like that. And it does make you think, and I'm not even the the parent of, of KJ, it does make you think like something happened here. Now, it may not have been a murder being covered up, but I think we can definitely say that there was a, a little bit of shoddy police work happening here. And that's on top of all the foundational mistrust that existed prior to this incident, just because of societal issues and things like that in that specific community, that there's an underlying 
Hey, I said underlying right that time. <laughs> Everyone out there, shout out. I said underlining, right? Yay. Under, and so, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can, uh, to your point, you can clearly see where this is coming from and justifiably so. So the next day, Monday, January 14th, KJ's body was transferred from the Valdosta Regional Crime Lab to the GBI's crime lab, and that's located in Macon, Georgia. Now, the body was transported by a man named Steve Owens, who owned a company called Owens Transport Services. And this is the same person who moved KJ's body from the high school to the Valdosta Regional Crime Lab. And then he's also going to be the person that takes him from the crime lab to the GBI's crime lab in Macon. The autopsy was done the same day, and it was determined that there had been no foul play and there was no visible injuries on the body that could have caused KJ's death. Positional asphyxia was given as the cause of death, and there were some marks found on the body that were noted in the autopsy report, mainly two tiny abrasions on KJ's right wrist and left forefinger, both no bigger than an eighth of an inch. However, the bruising that the EMTs had noted on KJ's jaw was not mentioned in the report. It was believed that asphyxiation had happened very quickly due to KJ's abdominal organs compressing his diaphragm and the tightness of the mat constricting his chest and or impeding his ability to breathe through his mouth. The blood that had been found at the bottom of the mat, it was identified as post-mortem purge, and this would be from all the blood that had gathered in his head as he hung upside down for as long as he did. So obviously, when KJ's parents saw his body that Sunday before he had the autopsy, they thought he looked horrible. You know, they thought it looked as if he had been beaten. His face was bloated. It looks bruised because of the blue sort of like mottled discoloration that happens. It was misshapen. It was swollen. And as I said, and, you know, both both Derek and I have said, um, he really did. He looked it, it was gruesome. Some of the worst autopsy photos I've ever seen. Some of the worst, worst postmortem photos I've ever seen. And. They're just horrifying. So I can certainly understand, right, as a parent, you're seeing your child like this. You've never seen your child look like this before. He doesn't look anything like himself. It looks like he's been through some sort of violent ordeal. And I, I think that in anybody, it would cause a great deal of not only trauma, but possibly suspicion. Yeah. And to your point, you know, it, it, again, if you're not if you're KJ's fam family and you're not used to seeing dead bodies, especially your own child, you you don't understand the what happens to a body once you expire. It happens very quickly, and depending on your position, there is that bloating and the bruising and the discoloring, and it's it's not pleasant. I'm not going to lie to you guys; it's not pleasant. I've I've seen a lot of dead bodies over the years. Some of them due to homicide, some of them due to natural causes, and in many cases, it's not as peaceful as you would hope it would be. And there's a lot of that purging and things like that, and bodily fluids and noises and things that happen after you're dead that are not pleasant. So, I can, I've seen again. We've seen the photos. They're very disturbing. Even even for us who who see the autopsy photos all the time, it's very disturbing, especially in the short amount of time that had transpired between him going missing and him being located, and then them seeing his body. You wouldn't. I'm sure they did not expect to see that. Um, so I, I can't imagine as the parents seeing your son in that position. Um, I really feel for him because that that must have been very difficult. 
And I mean, the average person, you would hope, isn't seeing dead bodies at all, right? Before I went into true crime, the only dead body I'd ever seen was at a funeral. And it's been dressed and it's, you know, got makeup on it and the eyes are closed. So when I started doing um, true crime, and it's not even what you find online, but I would contact the family members and ask for case files and things like that. And they would send me the postmortem pictures. And you are not prepared for that. It, to me, the most oh, the most upsetting and startling thing is the eyes, right? Because when you see someone at a funeral, their eyes are closed. The most upsetting thing to me about seeing a dead body is their eyes. They lose pigment. They're flat. There's no there's no life in them, you know. And that's so startling. So I I hope that the average person isn't out there like, oh, I've seen 15 dead bodies in my time and this dead body looks different than other dead bodies I've seen. So there's something going on. I hope that most people are not seeing these sorts of pictures and don't have these images in their head because I know I do and and they don't leave you. But I do understand not having that kind of experience and not only that, but already feeling like This is a crazy thing to happen, right? Like you're telling me he went into a gym mat and died and nobody heard him and he couldn't get out and nobody could save him. That's crazy already. And now I see him and he looks like, you know, he's been beat up. He looks like he's been violently assaulted. And you're trying to tell me that everything's normal and this is a complete like accident. So and they wouldn't be good parents if they weren't feeling that way. They wouldn't be good parents if they weren't fighting for their child and trying to get to the truth. Yeah. And you you hit on the mats again. And it was something I wanted to bring up real quick because we had talked about, again, this is from our amazing listeners and viewers, everyone who's who's following along with us. We want to make sure we always get it right. We had talked about the idea of conducting an experiment um, to see if you would be able to hear KJ if he was in that mat and calling for help. And uh, I apologize for not knowing, but apparently there was already another podcast or a YouTube channel that discussed that they did in fact do that. They actually had a child go into the mat. It might even have been a football player. And the results were that you could barely hear the the the, the boy. You could barely hear him. They had him inside the thing. They bounced the ball. They did the whole thing that we had suggested they do. And it was evident very quickly that even if KJ were screaming at the top of his lungs inside that mat, being in that position with those mats around him, even in a room that even if, if the gym was completely quiet, you wouldn't have been able to hear him that well. That's crazy. I mean, it's kind yes. of what I expected. But yep. so it, it does answer some of our questions, right? As far as like kids are bouncing balls in it. Nobody heard this guy screaming for his life. No, the answer is no. You would they wouldn't have heard him because of these crazy set of circumstances that were just heavily not in Kendrick's favor. You know, like all these things had to take place for it to create this situation if in fact this is what happened, but if if it was in fact a tragic accident and he fell in there and he was unable to pull himself out, no, people in that gym more than likely would not have heard him at all. Not to mention that another class was starting, so they, were, they weren't in the gym for a very long time either. And like you said, there was probably a part of KJ, if this was an accident, who was like, you know, I can get myself out of this. I'm not trying to like call for help. And be a the butt of a joke, you know, for the rest of the year. He had he had no idea. But thank you to everybody who who I saw a couple comments. We do read the comments, and you guys were quick to to let me know about that and let Stephanie know. So just wanted to acknowledge that 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 test has been done, 
And those were the results. Yeah, Crime Weekly is really a hive mind, right? So we're going to research the case, but we we have a week usually to research the case. When we do multi-parters, we obviously have longer, but um, it's very impossible to to know everything. So it's so helpful that you guys reach out to us and you're like, actually, this experiment was done. It's a hive mind. We're all working at this together. We all want to find the truth and find the answers together. And we really appreciate that about you guys. So when the autopsy was done, KJ's body was transferred again and again, this time by Steve Owens, who's been the only one pretty much to be transferring his body. And he brought it to Harrington's funeral home so that KJ's body could be prepared for burial. Now, apparently the owner, Antonio Harrington, he'd offered to provide his services to the Johnson family free of charge. But it was it was said in in some of these court documents that after he saw KJ's body, he also sort of um, provided some advice to the Johnson family. And he said, you know, I think that there's something going on here and maybe you should have an independent autopsy done. And this part is a little confusing to me because the timeline doesn't really match up. At this point, the results from the first autopsy hadn't even come back yet, you know, because it's it's basically he's bringing him to the funeral home right after the autopsy. So these results aren't even in yet. Nobody really knows them yet. And he's already kind of having a conversation about having a second one done. But once again, it could have just been a conversation like if the results from the first autopsy come back and they're not what you expect, I suggest you get a second opinion kind of thing. Now, this is something I do find to be a little suspicious. So KJ's clothes were not delivered to the funeral home with his body. And Antonio Harrington told the Johnsons that he'd never received any clothes. So the family obviously contacted the CBI crime lab in Macon. And they were like, where's Kendrick's clothes? And they were told by the CBI crime lab that All of KJ's personal effects, including his clothes, had been placed in the body bag with him. And there's like an inventory report. Okay, so there's an actual inventory report that shows what's with KJ's body. And Steve Owens, the transport guy, he signed off on this this inventory report. And yet no clothes arrived with KJ when he got to Harrington's funeral home. He was accompanied only by a broken pair of headphones, the same one that was found wrapped around his finger when he was taken out of the mat. Now, these clothes have never been located. Like, nobody knows where they went, what happened to them. But KJ's parents believe they were destroyed to cover up his murder, once again, to to get rid of any evidence there might be on these clothes that would point to his attacker or attackers. This was something when I read it, even more so than like the the belief that the the cooler was not as cool as it should be. This is something that is it's it's fact or it's fiction. Were the clothes in there? Or were they not? And I don't think they would make this up. Clearly, the clothes weren't in there. So you might be saying to yourself, well, Derek, explain that one. Right. If it's if it's not a cover up, if it's not a murder, why aren't the clothes in there? It's a mistake. And it's not a good one. And it's a bad one to make, especially in a case like this where there's so much skepticism around the case itself. Anyways, you know, there's there's a chain of custody. And I'm sure a lot of you guys that are true crime buffs have heard that phrase before. And in this particular case, when you have evidence or you have a body, all everything is inventoried, as Stephanie said. And those clothes at some point should have been in there. And if they were, and this wasn't some conspiracy then someone removed those clothes. Some some agent uh, of the state, some some investigator removed the clothes and never documented 
that they removed the clothes, the clothes and why they did it. So therefore you're left with this where we are now. And we're left with a lot of, a lot of questions and rightfully so. So again, if you're in, if you're in the school that believes this was a cover up, the explanation that Stephanie just gave makes a lot of sense. It really does. That would be a reason to destroy the clothes, but just keep in mind, there's a, there is a possibility that this is just a screw up and that it wasn't documented properly. That is also a possibility. But where do they go? And don't you think at some point somebody from the GBI would have come forward and been like, no, this isn't a cover up. Uh, the clothes were really dirty. So we got rid of them like to make it seem less like a cover up, you know, like, don't worry, it's not a cover up. I did this and nobody has and nobody knows where the clothes are. And this is one of the things there's just about three, three or four things in this case that really hold me back from from going and being like, I think it was an accident, three or four things. But that's enough to really give me a, a great long pause. Yeah. And, and and there's a possibility that this was explained to the family. We don't know if it was. And if it was, they they didn't they didn't relay that to the public. I don't know if the police would come out and say publicly, hey, heads up, guys, this is where the clothes were. But if it, let's just take it for what it, for what we know, which is the police have never informed the family where his clothes are or what happened to them. If that's true, then that's a big problem. That's a big problem. But I, I wish we were a fly on the wall or had access to everything because it's also a possibility that one of the attorneys that work for Kendrick's family or Kendrick's family themselves were informed what happened to the clothes. They might have said to them, hey, you know, we accidentally destroyed the clothes. They were taken in. They were incinerated because we felt like they were no longer valuable. We're sorry, you know, but if that if that did happen, we don't know that. So we're left with what we have and what we have doesn't look good. So as soon as the autopsy had been completed, obviously KJ's parents want to see it, you know, and I don't blame them. But apparently every time they asked, they were told that they could not have access to it yet, which prompted a protest at the Lowndes County Courthouse. And during this protest, the family members and supporters, they locked hands and they sort of formed like a human chain and they were blocking people from entering or exiting the courthouse. I believe there was like a side entrance and a front entrance because both Jackie and Kenneth Johnson were arrested during this protest but they were with separate groups. So I think Jackie was at like the side door and Kenneth was at the front door. But they were basically just blocking people from coming in or out. And the reason of this protest was, you know, we want answers. But Kendrick's parents, Kenneth and Jackie, they were both arrested as well as five other people. What do you think about that? Because I can't I can't figure it out. Like there's it's just not a lot of information. Like what were they doing that was wrong? Like I obviously understand. I think they like gave him an obstruction of justice card or charge, not card. <laughs> there's no trading cards for for federal charges, okay? But I think they said they were obstructing justice cuz they weren't letting like court cases proceed and things like that. But this is a peaceful protest. I don't like people getting arrested during peaceful protests. Yeah, no, I agree. Peaceful protest is your First Amendment right, and they should be allowed to do so. And it's in a government building, but it is a public government building. Without knowing the specifics, 
Um, I, you know, it's tough to disagree with you that, listen, I don't, I don't understand why they were arrested. Uh, now, if I learned that they were literally and physically impeding the ability for the, for the courts to conduct their business, they were stopping people I from leaving or entering. Yeah. If that's the case, then, then that is a justifiable arrest. I don't love it, but if they're stopping the, the government agency from the courts from, you know, doing their jobs, then yes, it, it by the the way the law is written, that would be covered. And, and I and I'll come right out and say it. I agree with it. You guys can sit there, and you have a First Amendment right. Say what you want to say about the courts. Say what you want to say about the investigators, but do it in a manner where people can hear you, but you're not physically impeding the ability for them to carry out their functions. Because that at that point does become a criminal act. It does become an offense. It's a misdemeanor. I hope that the investigators treated that, you know, the officers that arrested them understood where they were coming from and treated them with that respect where it's like, Hey, listen, we understand you lost your son, but if you're refusing to move, if you're refusing to allow them to conduct their business, you're leaving us no other choice. Um, again, I wasn't there, but that, yes, that, that would be those, that, that would be what would occur. Yeah. It makes me feel super uncomfortable. I don't, I don't like it. You know, well, what do you do? What do you I do? What do you do in that case? That's I mean, and I'm not being rhetorical. What I do you know do? this sounds this sounds really dumb. <laughs> and I know like a lot of people think I live in this perfect utopian world, but I probably would have just canceled all the cases that were happening that day, like kind of rescheduled everyone and been like, you know, just let these people they lost a kid. You know, they think something's going on, whether something's going on or not. They they genuinely seem to believe that something's going on. They they want answers. So let's reschedule all these cases, you know, book them for another day. It's going to be inconvenient, but at the same time, you know, let them do what they have to do today, I guess. I, I hear you. And you know what? In in theory, if that worked where it was just one day and they were, they canceled it for that one day and and, and once they had their day, they moved, they moved on or they went to another means of protesting. I, you know, I, I don't disagree with you, actually. The problem is precedent. You allow that to happen where they cancel court because of it. Who's to say they won't come back the next day or the day after that or the next time it happens? If they had every time there was a protest, they allowed them to control when court was in session, we would never have court. And so I I can tell you for me, there were times where you have to do things because the way the law is written um, that you don't necessarily morally love, but it is your job and it is what what you're designed. It's what the law is designed to do. And so you have to enforce the laws the way they're written. So I, in a perfect world, a utopian world, like you said, you said it great. I agree with you, but the re the reality of the situation is if you allow that to happen, then it's going to happen consistently. And that's going to be an, an even bigger problem. Cause now if you let one family do it and not another, you're, 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 you're walking into a bad situation optically. I just feel like if both sides and there shouldn't be sides, but I feel like if both sides want the same outcome, you know, as long as both sides are being genuine about wanting the same outcome, they should talk and work it out. You mean the court? You yeah, mean the like court the, and the, the law and then the protesters. Like, yeah, we both want the same outcome. We both want justice. We want you to be able to practice your, you know, your rights that are written in the Constitution. So we're going to make sure that today you can do whatever you want. We're going to cancel everything for you. But we got to make sure that, like, obviously things can proceed because there's other people involved and they need their court cases to go through and they need also their justice. So, you know, can we work together here? Like, I don't know if that happened. You know, it's very weird. They don't really go into specifics about. And that's 
that's the hair. That's the situation we're in, right? We don't know the exact specifics. I would like to believe guys. I'm not saying this is what happened. If they gave them an option to step back and protest and scream and yell for, you know, while not in, in, you know, impeding the flow of traffic in and out of the court. And they, if they gave them that option and they said, Hey, say what you got to say, yell signs, do your whole thing. Just don't stop lawyers and everyone from coming in and out or, you know, people who have cases from, we're going to let you stay. If they said, no, we're not doing that. Well, then there's no compromise, right? It's their way or no way. And that's where they have to say, okay, well, if you're not willing to express your first amendment, right. But in the way that it's, you know, a way that it's not obstructing others, you're leaving us no choice. So I totally hear you. If that didn't happen and it was just like, nope, you're under arrest. I agree. They should have given them that op- opportunity first, that option. But again, we weren't there. We don't know. It could be, we don't know what happened. Yeah. And you know, I feel like at this point, you're not going to get a straight story from anybody because everybody has their narrative and everybody has their yep. side. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's a tale as old as time. You're not going to say mm-hmm. something or admit he to said, something. She said. Yeah, you're not going to admit to yep. something that makes you look wrong and the other side and look right. Of, of course. Of course. Well, so. And that's Jim, on both sides. That's on both oh, sides. Completely. We're Absolutely. Because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's human. It's human right. nature, right? Saying, yep. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. human nature. You want to. It's it's a confirmation bias. You don't want to. You don't want to be wrong. I but don't. to summarize, summarize shitty situation. Really because bad. it's a it's a lose lose. It's exactly. a lose lose. Yeah. So I yeah, tough. So Jackie and Kenneth, they both get arrested, they go to jail. And Reverend Lloyd Rose from the SCLC, he actually put up his own home as collateral for Jackie's bond to get her out. So you can see at this point, this is really the beginning. He's a hundred percent fully behind the Johnson family. But this isn't necessarily where he would end up. During this protest, uh, KJ's parents announced, quote, we don't think he was murdered. We know that he was murdered, end quote. And this is a I think it's a problematic statement simply because they they didn't know that they didn't. I mean, they could feel it and they could know it like in their hearts. But to make a public statement like that is just going to sort of um, cause problems because then obviously people are going to say, OK, you know it. Where's your evidence? And this did happen in court at a later date where they were asked, you know, how do you know this? Give us the evidence. And um, they didn't they didn't really have that evidence. They they had this gut feeling, this gut instinct, which I completely respect, but they didn't have any any facts or evidence to back that up. And, and so obviously this is it's causing a great unrest. It's causing a lot of people. OK, the parents know he was murdered. So they're they're obviously right. They know their kid better than anybody. Let's get behind this. And this is when, you know, the media gets on board and a lot of misinformation was put out there. And I won't even say misinformation all the time, but half information, right? So they would say, this looks suspicious, this looks sketchy, but then they wouldn't follow it up with, but this is the reason or the alleged reason of why it looks sketchy. And I I don't like that only because even if the reason's not legitimate, like let me be the decider of whether or not I believe it's legitimate or not. So you, you should give me the whole story. And if I think that the excuse or the justification given is, is bullshit, then I'll say, oh, I think that's bullshit. But if I think that there's some validity to it, then I can kind of go down that path myself. But this is not really what happened um, in the media. I'll especially highlight CNN because they did take a big part 
um, in Kendrick's case, which I appreciate because because of CNN, KJ's case really did get pushed out there quite a bit. And it became really mainstream. And, and a lot of people came to know about it because of the work CNN did. But at the same time, it did kind of lead to the divisiveness where um, there was there was kind of one side being told and not everything else. And I think it left it to a lot of local media outlets to sort of clear that up. But once again, more people are watching CNN than are reading the Valdosta Times, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're not, we're not, we're not coming for CNN or anything. In fact, oh, I, I'll watched... come for CNN all the time. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just I saying we're not any like... mainstream media news outlet because uh, yeah, they're all well, the we, same. We... CNN, Fox News, ABC, NBC, they're equal they opportunity an, an abusers. Yeah. They all have an agenda and they all want clicks and they all want views and putting forward a fair and balanced story, I think sometimes isn't what gets you that. It's the no, it's, salaciousness, it's, 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 right? Yep. But I, what I was saying is we're not like we're not in we're not coming just after CNN. In fact, we used if you saw in our last video, we used a lot of screenshots from CNN and and some of the stuff they put out there because we thought it was great in our in our YouTube video. So again, we're just we're talking. Just, we're going to call it how we see it. Yeah, nobody covered it more thoroughly than CNN. But when I say thoroughly, I don't mean they're they're telling everything that's out there to be told. You know. So, but that's normal, I think. Yeah, no, I think it's normal. I think it's the nature of the business, right? Like, it's like what's going to be clickable, what's going to, you know, what's going to get the most views. They're probably tracking on certain headlines and what gets the most engagement, and then they they ride it. It's a business, right? They're in it for profit. So, you know, and I and I love how you said it's for all of them because it is. It's for all of them. For all, all of the them. networks. And I won't even mm-hmm. say that it's malicious, even sometimes because I've done this with cases where I get really invested in the victim and I will find myself as I'm going through being like, oh, that doesn't make the victim look super good. Like, I don't really want to put that in. And I have to like struggle with myself sometimes to include it in my video because I didn't even realize that I had a narrative I was pushing, but it's human, right? So they got invested. KJ's case was not hard to get invested in. He was a nice kid. He was a sweet kid. He was talented. He had a lot, a lot of potential. He had a family that that loved him. And it's hard not to get invested in that. So I think a lot of people at CNN really did get invested the way that I have myself gotten invested in cases. And you develop blinders sometimes. But the, the trick is to realizing when you've developed those blinders. And I don't think that yeah. they do all the time. And you can't, I mean, we've only covered a, you know, we've only scratched the surface and there's already a few different things that we really make you, you know, raise an eyebrow as far as how this case. So imagine, you know, they're, they're hearing and seeing this too. And that probably influenced their decision to cover it the way they did. So the, the reason for the protest, it was kind of explained to ABC Channel 7 by a lawyer from Atlanta named Kwame Thompson. So Kwame Thompson was not the Thompson's lawyer, but because he was familiar with the law, I think that CNN would bring him on sometimes to, you know, as a, what do they call him, like uh, experts, you know, law experts to discuss. Yeah, legal expert. Yeah, yeah. certain Analyst, cases. legal analyst. Perfect. And um, Kwame said that the family of KJ should have answers by now. He said that they they were relying on public officials to work on their behalf and that KJ's death should have been investigated as a homicide from day one. But the sheriff had already announced very shortly after, you know, everything happened, like very shortly after KJ was found. I believe it was the 11th that Sheriff Chris Prine 
uh, basically said, you know, this was an accident. And I get that. And you and I have had arguments about this before where I feel like as the family member, you should have more access to these cases. But you always tell me like, no, that's not that's not going to work. And we just talked to um Kelsey German. They don't even. And by the way, you're breaking this because they. I, I saw where your head was going. Yeah. I mean, uh, you could say it right now if you want, but yeah, we're we're covering we're covering Delphi, and we've been talking to Kelsey German, and um, this is a thing that's always bugged me because I feel like if this was my family member, I would want to know everything that was going on, so I could almost like checks and balances them. Like if they were missing something or they were forgetting something, I could fill that in for them. But Kelsey even said, you know, there's so much. That she just doesn't know about the investigation. So that can be incredibly frustrating for a family member. I know my personality, who I am, that would drive me crazy. I would be calling them 25 times a day. They would hate me. So I completely get that they they want all this information right away. And you are trusting these these law enforcement officials to to do right by you and your son. And there's already this sense of distrust for law enforcement that's embedded into a lot of these people from that area. So you're not starting off on a clean slate to begin with. And so obviously you do want to know and be updated. And that's just not what happens in these cases. And it would drive me absolutely crazy. But apparently, according to Kwame Thompson, Sheriff Chris Pine had backpedaled after this public announcement saying it was an accident and he claimed that they were now investigating the death as a homicide. Now, I cannot find any evidence that that Chris Prine said this publicly, at least. He could have said it to the family. He could have said it to the lawyers. I can't see anywhere that he did say that. But if you guys have found it or if you can track it down for me, please let me know. But this is what this is what Kwame Thompson is saying. KJ's family really wanted to know what the results of the autopsy were. They hadn't been able to get the answers they wanted. So they were protesting to make their voices heard and hopefully get these results. And these protests and rallies, they would continue on for months, I think 10 months regularly. And something that could often be seen at these protests and these rallies was the picture the picture of KJ. So they put this picture on T-shirts and posters, and it's it's really it's really bad. So I feel like a lot of people have seen some of these gruesome pictures already because this picture is infamous at this point. Probably one of the most infamous um, post mortem pictures. Let's just call it what it is. Too, we're telling people not to go look at it, and ninety percent of you guys. Stopped the video or paused this the podcast and you went and looked at it. But we still put it out there as a disclaimer. But we know the majority of you people people out there have probably already seen the, the photo, whether it was because you're following along with us or for the reasons that Stephanie's laying out right now. So some people will say that the Johnson family purposely misled everyone into thinking that this picture was taken when KJ was found in the gym. I don't know whether that's true or not, whether they purposely misled people, but that was the general consensus, that this was the picture of KJ after he'd been found in the gym. But in fact, uh, that actually wasn't true. And it only came out later in 2015 in court that the picture had actually been taken by the Johnson family at the funeral home. And this was after the autopsy had been completed. And they obviously autopsies aren't kind to a human body. OK, it's, it's bad. You're getting cut open. You're just 
it's bad. You're getting dissected, essentially. So in the autopsy, they're going to peel back the skin on the face so that they can examine the underlying muscles. So this was a picture taken after the skin on his face had been pulled back. And obviously, it's just horrific. But it, it was the general consensus that this picture was taken after he was found. So obviously, you can understand that people were like, holy shit. This is what he looked like when he's found. This is horrible. There's no way this kid didn't get like physically assaulted, violently beat, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you would have to assume that the photo being put, you know, printed on T-shirts was approved by the family. Um, yes, I don't think it anyone, was. Yeah. I don't think it, I don't think anybody would do that without their consent. No, it was, yeah. Um, and what their intention was, we'll never know. It's another one of those things where. We'll never know. And I'm sure if we had the chance to ask them, they would say that wasn't the intent. And maybe they're telling the truth. Um, but you could definitely see how if you're a, re- you know, a layman person who's not up to date on the case like the family and you see this photo, your assumption is going to be, even if it's not inferred, your assumption is going to be that they're showing you a photo of the victim immediately after the the incident. Not at, you know after the you know because it's there's no disclaimer at the bottom of the t-shirt saying that, um, so I know that's what I would assume, and it is a really bad photo and it it doesn't look good and it does look like he was he was assaulted uh, viciously, uh, and the, and the reality as you just laid out is in a way he was assaulted by the by the pathologist who's right. conducting that 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 autopsy and as you said it's very aggressive it's again it's a lot. It's a lot to be in that room and it's, it's, they have to be, they kind of have to, you know, manipulate the body. So I'm trying to be cautious how I say this, but they're, they're aggressive. They're aggressive to say the least. And, um, it can cause some further damage, um, to the skin as they're doing that. Yeah. So that was actually a, a rough little portion here because I'm seeing this picture in my head and it's, it's disturbing. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. So on May 1st, 2013, the Johnson family was granted permission by a judge to exhume KJ's body so they could have a second autopsy done. And the following day, KJ's death was officially ruled an accident. So this is May 2nd that they come out publicly and say, we believe due to the autopsy that this was an accident. And an hour after the announcement came, friends, family and activists gathered outside of Lowndes High School to protest. So let's actually talk about the second autopsy. It was conducted by a man named Dr. William Anderson. This is apparently a well-known forensic pathologist located out of Florida. Um, He used to work for, I think, the Ocala coroner's office, and he was actually dismissed. Um, And and there's a little controversy there, but we're going to talk about that more in depth in the third video. KJ's body was exhumed on June 15th, and when William Anderson completed his autopsy, he revealed some shocking details. First, he claimed that when he opened KJ up, he had discovered that the teenager's body and skull had been stuffed with newspaper, and there were no internal organs to be found anywhere. Now, this obviously prompted the family to speak out about this odd and unexpected discovery publicly and express outrage at the GBI and Harrington's funeral home. So once again, KJ's organs have never been located, and there's a lot of confusion about what actually happened to them, and the confusion comes from the fact that nobody seems to have the same story. Nobody seems to be on the same page with this at all. 
So Sherry Lang, she's a spokesperson for the GBI. She claimed that the organs had been removed during autopsy, like normal. You know, they got to take the organs out. They take samples from them. They take slides from them. They examine them. And then what normally would happen is they'd be put into a bag and then returned to the body cavity. And Sherry Lang said, you know, there's no reason why this wouldn't have happened. This is what happened in, in KJ's case. She said, quote, when the body left the GBI, it had the organs with it, end quote. Once again, I find this to be a problematic statement because I can guarantee you Sherry Lang was not there when the autopsy was done. So to make such a very, um, what you know, I'm so sure of myself statement, just like the statement from the Johnson family, like we don't think he was murdered. We know he was murdered. These sorts of statements, these black and white statements, they can be very problematic because not only are they, you know, really just not possible to be even said unless you were present every moment. It, it causes a little bit of, um, I, I guess it makes it easy for you to be proven wrong, right? Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, you would think Sherry Lang spoke to the original pathologist and confirmed, hey, you know, did you in fact do this before coming out and making this statement? That's that's an assumption on my part. Um, but yeah, she's making a definitive remark and she wasn't in the room when it happened. So she doesn't know for certain they were in there. She's going off the word of others. Um, and again, this is what happens. Telephone game, guys. You know what I mean? You know, story slowly gets changed as it goes through different people. And what really happened? Were the organs put back in the body or was there a misstep and they were they were thrown out? They were disposed of thinking they were no longer, you know, w what really happened? And and then the other part of this is, was it malicious, right? If we're going back to the the idea that this was a murder, again, this just builds on that narrative. You have the clothes go miraculously disappearing. And now you have now the organs, organs are gone, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, can anybody listen, whether you're a former law enforcement, whether you're completely convinced already, no matter what we say that this was an accident, if you're convinced of that, you can't sit there reasonably as you're, as you're watching this right now or listening to this and say, oh no, that seems totally normal to me. Especially yeah, if you I, put I, yourself in, in Kendrick's parents' shoes. Right, right. But even just as you and I sitting here, right? Like, I mean, we have our preconceived notions about things and this is this is not good. This does not look good. It doesn't sound good. And I think, again, the family is totally justified in saying, hey, listen, we want answers. Where's our son's organs? Oh, they were in the body. And then you're going to say something next coming up that is contradictory to that. So what are they to do? What are they to do when the what people they that they're think? relying on- Right, right, exactly. Well, an attorney for Harrington's funeral home claimed that when KJ's body arrived there, no organs had been with it, and that it was also standard procedure to fill empty space in body cavities with materials such as sawdust or cotton. But Kendrick's body wasn't filled with sawdust or cotton. It was filled with old newspapers, which is just gross. I find it to be really distasteful at the very least really distasteful. Yeah. And so here we go. You just, that was what I was alluding to. You have the GBI spokesperson saying one thing and you have the next entity that would have received the body immediately after GBI saying, Hey, listen, there were no organs in there. So one of the two are wrong. And well, now we right? have another, we have a third person who chimes in on this, right? Lowndes yep. County coroner, Bill Watson had a, a completely different version of events. He claimed that KJ's organs had been too badly decomposed to be preserved and they'd been disposed of before the body was sent to the funeral home. But the way he says it, it's not like I did this. He said it would have been during the autopsy that I disposed of them. So it's like he can't even remember 
doing it, but he assumes like, yes, if the organs were too badly decomposed, I wouldn't have saved them, which I don't even think makes sense because if the body's getting buried, what's it to you what the organs are like? And especially with with a sensitive case like this, maybe just keep everything together so that you can be, you know, above reproach and just send the organs with the body so that you don't add fuel to the fire, which is exactly what happened. Well, make no mistake about it. This is a mistake. Right. There's a screw up here somewhere along the line. And if I if I'm a betting man, I believe the Harrington funeral home that the organs were never in the body when KJ arrived. And if you're going with the theory that this, you know, this case was an accident and that the the GBI and everyone were acting in good faith. Again, it's still a screw up. Right. Because it wasn't clearly documented what happened. And you had a spokesperson come out and say, oh, no, no, no. Organs were with the body. And then you have them backpedaling where the pathologist is now saying, you know, no, you know, if, if based on the decomposition, we we would have thrown them out. Now, maybe that is what happened. Maybe that truly is what happened and it was purely innocent. But having all this back and forth doesn't create trust. And it, it does not create and trust. And here's the thing, like the, the autopsy wasn't done by Lowndes County Coroner. Correct. Right. It was done by the GBI. So what's Bill Watson even got to say about this unless he went to the GBI and did it? I'm going to have to look into that. And he could be just speaking as far as practices. But that doesn't matter. You had nothing to do with it then. Shush. Right. Maybe. Yeah. The, The pathologist who actually conducted the autopsy, if it in fact wasn't him, should be the one speaking, saying, this is what I did. I can tell you. That I physically disposed of the organs because of deco- bad decomposition. If that's the case, hey, listen, and that's your practice? Well, that should have been the initial spokesperson should have said that. And clearly, if this individual was the one who conducted the autopsy, he didn't speak to Sherry Lang. Because Sherry Lang was out there saying the organs were with the body. So she clearly didn't do uh, the research to confirm whether or not they were with him. Um, and I highly doubt that the the organs were removed by some individual party from the transportation uh, from the GBI to the funeral home. That's just well. I mean, who knows? Because Steve Owens was actually named in in one of the lawsuits that the Johnson family would later file. I mean, amongst others, like almost forty other people besides Steve were were named in it. But obviously, you know, at this point, they're like, okay, these are all the people who who dealt with my son's body. So we're gonna name them all in there. We're gonna throw them all in there. So it obviously looks really bad because you don't know which version is true, right? You get three different people or three different entities saying three different things. And who's to say what's true? Because like you said, obviously, this wasn't properly documented. But the fact of the matter is we don't know where those organs are to this day, like for sure. You're right. We don't. I mean, you want to believe that they were disposed of properly, but there's no there's no proof of that. Well, what we do know, though, is that the organs were examined by the GBI. Slides and samples were taken and put into storage where they remain to this day. The Johnson family, it seemed for a time, they believed that the funeral home had disposed of their son's organs to once again cover up his murder. And in 2014, they filed a civil lawsuit against the funeral home, claiming that they were negligent in the handling of KJ's body and deliberately withheld information about the condition of his body. 
The suit also claimed that Harrington's purposely disposed of KJ's organs, brain, and clothes in an attempt to interfere with the investigation. They also claimed Harrington did not inform the Johnsons of the true condition of KJ's body before burial, which caused the family a great deal of emotional distress when they received the results of the second autopsy and they found out that KJ's body had been stuffed with newspaper. So Vernie Fountain, um, Vernie Fountain runs an embalming school in Missouri. I think it's Springfield. And um, Fountain actually admitted that when organs are missing, space inside the body is usually filled with some sort of absorbent preservative powder. And sometimes cotton is used with the powder. However, Fountain also said, quote, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who told me they used old newspapers. There may not be any law that prohibits it. I don't know, but it's just not something that's within what I would call acceptable standards, end quote. And I agree. That's unacceptable. We should not be stuffing bodies with old newspaper like it's some kind of weird paper mache project. Kind of messed up. But it does make sense, right? I mean, a funeral home is a business, right? I hate to say that. They're a business. And, you know, a lot of businesses cut corners when they don't think people are going to see their shoddy work. So it's completely possible that this funeral home did, in fact, although I don't think they took the organs, it's definitely possible that not only with KJ's body, but many bodies that they've worked on, they've done this type of thing because it's not something that prohibit, you know, they're not prohibited in doing so, but it's not the standard. Um, but again, they're look, thinking, I'm just going to be honest here, they're looking at it like, hey, we're going to put him in the ground and nobody's ever going to see him again. So who cares? Well, if you remember, but, uh, but, the funeral home did provide these services free of charge, right? So I almost wondered, yep. like, was the, news, yeah, was the newspaper used to save a little money because they weren't charging the family? But then at the same time, still terrible, that's yeah. still terrible because it was your choice. It was your choice to not charge the family, you know? Yeah. So you yeah. shouldn't take it upon yourself now to cut corners and not give him the burial that he deserves because I just, oh, the, the image of him being stuffed with newspapers, it just makes me sick. I don't like it. I find it weird. I find it gross, disrespectful completely, but just to show a different side, you know, this may have been less of a nefarious decision and more of like a financial one. Yeah. Like a lot, like I said, cutting corners, man, saving money, saving money, because again, their intentions are pure. They want to save the family money. They want to do things. So they're trying to cut the expense on their end. Don't agree with it. <laughs> don't agree. We're, by the way, we're not justifying no. this. It's, it's, it's wrong. I don't it's like wrong, it. but I'm sitting, you know what I'm sitting here thinking about real quick? It's like how much stuff goes I on know. behind the scenes. Right. I know. Right. Especially at a funeral home. You imagine. Cause again, you have the, 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 the wake and, you know, and it's only there, the body's in a, you know, usually dressed up and then it's, and so what, what do you, what, you don't even know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't even want to know. And I always think, honestly. you know, cause I'm like, well, I don't want to be buried because of this specific reason. And it's gross. You don't want to be stuffed with newspapers. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'll be cremated. But then at the same time, you're like, am I even like, is my family even going to be getting my ashes or are they just going to be some random other body ashes that are getting scooped into an urn and handed to my family? And now maybe a little of me and some of Ed from down the street and some of Mary <laughs> who died a week before me is sitting on my family's mantle. Like I think about oh this stuff way more than I should, but it just makes me incredibly yeah. uncomfortable. I don't like it. Like we should be treating people with respect, just as much respect as they would get in life as they, as they would have in death like that's how i feel so you know antonio harrington i'm not coming for you i don't know what happened but ew 
Like, don't do that anymore, please. Because there was an investigation done because, you know, this is like the Johnson family. They're not going quiet into that good night. They're fighting every inch. And in late 2013, the Georgia Secretary of State and I guess the, the Secretary of State actually regulates funeral homes, which I never knew before, but I find that incredibly interesting. But they conducted their own investigation into Harrington's and they found out that Harrington's did not violate any rules and using the newspaper was in conformity with burial protocol. Not so much like now, <laughs> but in, in past years, you know, like in the past, but it's not really commonplace now, but still there's no laws or rules that were broken. So Jared Thomas, a spokesperson for the Secretary of State's office, said, quote, it's not something very pleasant to talk about, but it's not illegal, end quote. Thanks, Jared. Thank you so much for that helpful statement. <laughs> so an attorney for the funeral home said that when Harrington's got the body, there were no organs with it. And Antonio Harrington was told by a GBI death investigator, this is what he was allegedly told, that the organs were disposed of during the autopsy due to decomposition. So I tend to believe that that's probably what actually happened, because now we're getting that from Coroner Bill, right, of Lowndes County Coroner Bill, also from the GBI. So that's probably what happened. I don't know where Sherry Lang's at. You know, she probably needs to like do her homework a little bit more before she's making public statements, because if the GBI, a death investigator with the GBI, told Antonio Harrington that the organs were disposed of because of decomposition, this is probably what happened. But, you know, also, once again, telephone game, lack of communication. Everybody's pointing a finger at everybody else. We don't have the organs. We don't have the organs. We don't have we don't give a shit who has the organs. We just want to know where they are and what happened to them. Yeah, it sounds like Sherry jumped a gun. Sounds like she jumped the gun and put her foot in her mouth. Sherry, you need to relax, okay? So Benjamin Crump, a lawyer working with the Johnson family, he said that, you know, they were obviously disappointed that the funeral home could not be held responsible for the newspaper thing, which I think is a little petty. But he said it was less important than the critical issue of KJ's organs being discarded or destroyed, which I agree with, because this prevents the family from now retesting and reexamining the organs during their second autopsy. Before we dive in to what Dr. William Anderson claimed after his autopsy, let's take a quick break. All right, so let's talk about what Dr. William Anderson claimed that he found in, in his autopsy, the second autopsy. And just for the record, there's going to be another autopsy. So there's three autopsies all day. There's another one that happens, I believe, in 2018. So Anderson said that he found blunt force trauma on the right side of KJ's upper neck. He said the cause of death was blunt force trauma to the right neck involving right mandible and soft tissues, including the area of the carotid body, consistent with inflicted injury. He said there was unexplained apparent non-accidental blunt force trauma, and his findings were not consistent with KJ dying from positional asphyxia. The report says, quote, examination of the previously undissected area and sectioning of the skin reveals evidence of full thickness cutaneous hemorrhage extending into the subcutaneous fat, end quote. William Anderson told USA Today that he believed KJ had suffered a single blow or pressure to the head or neck and that he did not find the typical signs of positional asphyxia during his autopsy, which would include 
fluid in the lungs. Anderson also said, quote, there is no evidence he was beaten. It was probably just a single pressure application, end quote. So here's my question. <laughs> if KJ's organs weren't there, how did William Anderson see that there was no fluid in the lungs? That's it's a great right. question. But Do the lungs I don't know if the not lungs count are, as organs? I don't think the lungs are removed in an autopsy. I the don't believe they are. The lungs are examined during an autopsy. They take like, They're examined. yeah, because I mean in the- But I think they use, again, guys, this isn't my area, so don't crush me for this one, but I believe that they use some, if from my from my past being in the room, I believe they sometimes take like a syringe yes. and withdraw the fluids from the, but I don't believe they remove the lungs because they- I, I want to be uh, respectful to families. I know they removed the rib cage. That's the worst part for me. I, watching it, I hated the noise. I know they removed the rib cage. I don't believe they move, removed the lungs. Actually, I'm I'm fairly confident they do now that I'm thinking about it. But they do believe some remove some of the smaller organs that can be removed. So you believe they don't um, remove the lungs, right? Okay. No, I don't believe they do. I believe they take a biopsy of the lungs and they also remove the fluid, if anything, from inside the lungs. To have that analyzed, they use, like I said, like a plunger, you know, or whatever, uh, a syringe. Um, but no, I don't believe they removed the, the lungs from the from the body. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. That's just my recollection from my, you know, my observations of watching the autopsies I've been present I mean, for. I feel like you'd have to be right because for him to make a, a claim about no fluid in the lungs, that's a bold claim. When you're also making a claim that there was no organs present, right? So the the lungs would have had to have been there. But he's saying that there was no fluid in the lungs, which I also find to be suspicious. Because if you're hanging upside down for that long, you would think that, that there would be fluid in the lungs. Unless it was removed during the first autopsy. I don't know if it dissipated because he, he was buried for. So June 15th. He's the second autopsy happens. He dies in January. So we're about, what, six months after. I don't know if if fluid could dissipate by that point or, or what would happen. But this is what he said. But, and also you have an and also you have an absorbing uh, an absorbent in the newspaper oh, inside yes. the body. So, I mean, that I think a lot of it is going to be tough to go into that much detail when the body has been manipulated by so many different people. And like, like I just said, including the funeral home, which is using products for that exact purpose to absorb any type of liquid that could, you know, leak out of the body. I didn't even think about the newspaper thing. Cause yeah, that would do quite a number on any fluids in the body. Secondly, there have been questions about Anderson's claim in the autopsy report where he says something about examining a previously undissected area of KJ's neck. And this is basically Anderson saying that during the first autopsy, the one that was done by the GBI, the injured portion or the the portion he considered injured on KJ's neck, it had not been examined. It had not been dissected. But according to the GBI and autopsy photos, that portion of KJ's neck had been examined. Um, A portion of the first autopsy report states, quote, a layered dissection of the anterior neck is performed. Examination of the soft tissues of the neck, including the strap muscles and large vessels, reveals no abnormalities. The hyoid bone and laryngeal cartilages are intact. The larynx is clear. The lingual mucosa is intact. The underlying musculature is devoid of hemorrhage end quote. And unfortunately, I was able to locate a picture of KJ's autopsy. 
Oh, it was so bad. I don't like it. I don't like it. And it does it does appear that his neck area was dissected. Um, it's very hard to look at. So it's a picture of him from behind. So you can't see him from the front, but you can clearly see that the side portions of his neck have been peeled back from his body. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to look at it, but I did have to see myself. I couldn't just come on here and say, well, the GBI said it was dissected, you know, because obviously the GBI is part of this whole uh, alleged cover up and conspiracy. So I couldn't just tell you that they said it was. So it was I had to to see it for myself. You know, you're saying that it does look like they examined that portion of the neck. So this 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 point I'm about to make becomes somewhat moot, but. Yeah, I'm a big mixed martial arts uh, uh, fan. I watch a lot of UFC fighting, and I know there's multiple chokeholds where the one guy will use the other guy's arm in addition to the next to compress their arm up against their neck, and they can actually choke them out just like that. And we know that Kendrick had one arm kind of above him, and I wonder if he, there was some type of compression in that area that caused that damage from his own arm. Now, I, you know, reading back at what you said as far as him indicating it was a Undicented. it was blunt force yeah. trauma, blunt force, a blunt trauma. force trauma. But then he said he wasn't, wasn't beaten, beaten and it was one impact. So, you know, is it possible that the damage to that area? Because I had a, an autopsy report, an autopsy done, or an observation of the autopsy done where there was some compression of the neck. And there is damage to the muscles, but it wasn't a blow. It was just, it was a strangulation. So could that be the case with Kendrick where the, technically we talked about this last episode, both doctors are coming up with a different interpretation, but they're both not wrong. Maybe what he's saying he sees as far as the, the contusions or whatever, whatever the scientific way to describe it is, maybe he is in fact seeing that, but the interpretation of how that got there is different between the two doctors. One saying it's blunt force trauma. One is probably ruling that as some type of uh, damage that was the result of the compression that Kendrick suffered while being stuck in the mat. You see what I'm saying? Yes. That? But what do you make of the fact that he said previously undissected and then there is there is picture evidence that 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 area of both sides of, of KJ's neck had been dissected? Yeah, that's and, and that's why I started. I mean, based on and again, you're not even directly involved with the case. And you're saying I've seen that his neck was clearly dissected, that we can leave it. at. It was clearly there was there were things done to it to see under the skin and to see if there was damage to that muscle. So I don't know how he came to that conclusion. It'd be interesting to see um, what what he saw that suggested that it hadn't been looked at before. I don't know. Again, I, I think this is all really hard. And I hear about this where these pathologists come back and do, they exhume these bodies and they do these autopsies. You know, it's just like evidence in, in a, ca a case when, you know, you have to always document how many people have touched that evidence because it, it even if it's documented, it still hurts the integrity of the evidence, right? Well, it's no different than a body. You have entities who are working at a funeral home. Not all of them are the main guys. Sometimes it's assistants. It's all these who are manipulating these bodies. They're embalming them. They're filling them with other materials. They're moving things around to make the body look more presentable to the family, so how do you conduct that autopsy after the fact and know that some of these things you're seeing or not seeing are because of the people who are the middlemen who are involved in the middle process of presenting this body to the way to the family in a way that would be they would be able to view their son for the last time. Well, you if know? you're if you're a pathologist, like that's your job. 
that's your expertise, yeah, I, I would hope that you you could tell the difference. You'd know the difference. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, it's just it's it seems like it would make the job a lot harder to be accurate. I think it would be a lot harder than than having a fresh body to autopsy that hasn't been touched by you know a, a dozen people plus funeral home and uh, plus buried in the ground for six months. I think it would be a million times easier. But you would hope that. That they could, they would know yeah, the difference. I hope. Yeah. No. But yeah. there are. You know, I don't know. I don't know if this this pathologist is deliberately lying or this is an interpretation. But I would hope that it's what we what I initially said, which is he's genuinely seeing these things and he's interpreting the body as it is when he when he analyzed it when he dissected it himself. And those are truly what those those facts are truly the way he believes they are. And it's not some outside agenda. You know, we don't know. We're not in his mind. Um, but you can only hope that he's coming from a place where, hey, listen, regardless of outside influences, this is what I'm seeing. And it doesn't appear that that was documented, even though, according to what you're saying, and as far as the photo, it, it was. It was, in fact, documented. And we do have to keep in mind, like these pathologists, they're not trained at the same school. They're not trained by the same person. They don't have the same teachers. So each one of them is going to have a different way of, of getting from point A to, to point B, right? And they're going to have different training and they're going to be trained to to notice different things. So this is often why you see disparities between different pathologists, like completely glaringly different to the point where you're like, who's lying here? Not necessarily anybody's lying. They're seeing different things. They're interpreting it in a different way. Now, I do know that uh, I believe it's Dr. Anderson. He he does at this point make his living off of doing these independent autopsies and then testifying at trial. So you could you could say that that either means he has a lot more experience in doing these independent autopsies or you could say this is how he makes his living. So he might want to deliver the results that the person who's paying him expects to see. Right. Yeah. And that's not the only field that happens. And we, we've seen um, numerous cases, highly publicized cases where I'll bring up Derek Chauvin for an example. It's a perfect case. You have use of force experts and there's multiple use of force experts. And one guy is testifying that Chauvin was in the right and two are testing that he was testifying that he was and in the why wrong. Why is that? But there, because it's subjective. It's right. It's open to because like, there's different types of training. money in your pocket. If Derek it Chauvin. Be, I'm, hey, I'm, if trying, the, if, I'm trying to assume there are good people here, Stephanie, and that they're not. Their their opinions aren't for for sale, but they are. <laughs> but they are. They are but, for but sale. They are. <laughs> they are for sale. But they are. This is this is not all. Not, not all. Not all. We're but, not gonna we're not gonna yes. make blanket statements here and say that all of these professional trial experts are for sale. But this is how they make their living. This is what they do every day, all day, right? And listen, lawyers will shop. So oh, yeah. you'll, they'll shop around for experts who say what they want them to say. They believe that you know. Oh, this expert believes you know it was this. We're going to hire them. We're going to put them on the stand, even though they talked to three other experts that said the opposite. So, and again, we're not saying it specifically for Kendrick's family or anything. We're saying in general, this is a thing. And and I said it last episode again. I know multiple world-renowned pathologists that make a living just serving as expert witnesses in cases throughout the country. That's what they do. And I'm not saying they, they're doing it for, you know, 
for the money or whatever. I'm just saying that's that's what they do for a living. And their job is to Monday morning quarterback, um, whether it's in favor or against the original pathologist that conducted the autopsies. That's what they do. That's that's how they feed their family. So is there incentive for them to come up with the, the opinion that's in favor of what the person that hired them is looking for? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, let's let's just be real here, right? How many times have you ever seen an expert witness go up for like the defense and say something that causes a problem for the defendant? How many right. times? Like, right. I mean, oh, I've oh, seen yeah. it one percent, less than one percent of the time. Well, the lawyer ain't putting them on the stand if they because they exactly. again they have like a pre they have a pre con for a pre interview and so yeah they're they're interviewing multiple experts. And they, you know, they may, they may interview three pathologists. If two of them don't give them the answers that they're looking for, they don't make the stand, right? They don't, they don't get up there. So, and you see this all the time with psychiatrists in trial too, right? You'll have the, the, the person who's sitting there, the defendant, and you'll have two psychiatrists who have examined them. And one psychiatrist who's with the state is like, this person's completely sane. They know exactly what they're doing. They're manipulative. And then the other psychiatrist is like, they've got PTSD. They've, they're schizophrenic. They've got this. They have, uh, operational or uh, oppositional defiant disorder, all sorts of things. And you're you're sitting there thinking, how could two medical professionals be so far apart in their opinion? And it's usually be because they're being paid to have that opinion. And if they didn't have the right opinion, they wouldn't be sitting in that courtroom. And that's just my opinion. Don't come for me. But it is what it is. It's a it's an unfortunate part of our system, but it is a reality in the justice system. Make no mistakes about it. It's it's a reality. Well, there's just as many people who are out there that believe one million percent this was a murder. There are people out there who believe one million percent it was an accident. And those people, when they talk about um, this autopsy, the second autopsy, they bring up the fact that there was no broken bones in the throat. And this really does seem to be one of the only cases where somebody would die from an injury like this because you don't usually die from just one single blow to the neck, I guess, unless you unless a person was very, very strong and, you know, they hit the right thing. But as far as I can tell, um, not not many people die from being hit in the throat. And he does say uh, in the autopsy, like one blow to the throat or the head, which also confuses me a little bit because it's like, is it a blow to the throat or is it a blow to the head? Because these are different parts of your body. Do you see anything on his head that would suggest he'd been hit in the head because you didn't bring that up in your in your report? So which one is it? I wonder if he's insinuating that the thro- the the blow to the throat or head rendered him unconscious and then Kendrick was moved into the mat. Maybe that's what he's suggesting, that the blow didn't actually result in death, but that was what rendered him in, in a, unable to de- defend himself. That makes sense, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying the cause of death gotcha. was the blow to the throat, right? And he's saying that he doesn't okay. see signs of positional asphyxia, like fluid in the lungs. So right. he's he's literally, and I would I would be behind that. This blow rendered him unconscious. He was placed upside down in the mat and then died from positional asphyxia. While in there. And you, this makes a million times exactly. more sense. But to say that he was... They should have hired me. Right. <laughs> but to say that he he got hit either in his head or his neck and died as a result of that single blow, because he did say that 
KJ was not beaten. He didn't see signs that this young man was beaten. So for him to die from this one blow to his head or his neck um, and not from the positional asphyxia, it's a, it's a little harder to swallow. So I think he would have been better off saying knocked him unconscious and then he died from positional asphyxia. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. That, that is a lot harder to understand. You would think the blow would be a lot. You would expect to see you uh, subdermal, I think it's called subdermal injuries, right? You would expect to see exterior injuries to the skin if it was that strong of a blow that it killed them. You would expect to see some significant injury to the exterior of the neck, right? And the head that would suggest, you know. As well as the interior, like bro- a broken bone. You know, you you have bones all here. And if you're hit that hard, you're going to see some sort of, if, if not a break, a fracture of some kind. And there was none of that. So that is, it's it's strange. But this autopsy um, did obviously provoke the Johnson family to believe that what their initial thought was, was correct. And I think we should probably uh, cut this short. I do want to get into the surveillance video because that's an another very interesting conversation, but that's a little bit of a longer conversation. And I know that we're already at about, you know, over an hour. What do you think? We're way over an hour and and f- we were expecting to get through this portion and just want to, but it's, again, we don't want to rush it. Um, we also don't want to make this episode three hours long, not necessarily for you guys. We know you like it, but um, we do have editor will an editor. Us. Hey, John. Yeah, John. Shout out to John. <laughs> we don't want to, we don't, we want to get it out on time. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So yeah, I agree with you. And the next topic that we're going into the footage, I don't want to rush through I that don't either. Because so. I have a lot of questions yeah. for you because I know you're a tech savvy kind of person and I'm not at all. So I would, I would really hope for some clarification from you because I know you're you're smart with that stuff and I'm not I'm dumb. I, I do like the I am a I am a nerd in yeah. that way in a sure. lot of ways you're a nerd but um fair it's fair you're not wearing your CrossFit it's shirt fair. this week though so no I'm not Progress. wearing my CrossFit shirt Stephanie Progress. I'm not wearing my CrossFit shirt again guys I hope you're all documenting this just screenshot it she's continuously abusive <laughs> to me all the time. And I just take it. And I just hope that someone out there is is uh, documenting all of this um, because this is an unsafe work environment. Mm-hmm. It is unhealthy. Yeah. Toxic. It, um, and, toxic. And, uh, toxic. And I'm pr- considering pursuing legal ramifications. When but he we'll goes see. out of the we'll recording see. room and his wife's like, hey, he's like, ah, what'd you say? And he like cringes, you know, he's like, I. this woman is so mean to me. But I do want to tell you guys a funny story before we go. So before we hopped on. We're supposed to start recording at eight and Derek FaceTime me and he's like, I need I need some more time. Right. And you should have seen the shirt he was wearing. Right. It was like navy blue, all holes all over. And he's like, this is my workout shirt. OK. And I did work out today. He said to me, Facts. And then he said, now Facts. I need 12 minutes to do my gel. <laughs> Well, you know why? Because if I'm longer than, because Stephanie won't talk to me all day. And then when it's time to record at eight, if I'm on at like 8.05, she's like, where are you? Let's go now. And so I I had to put an exact time on it. And I was two minutes early because I was in fear that she would scold me and yell at me and call me names if I wasn't here on time. So I quickly threw gel on my hair and do this, you know, got down before she called it me was, names. It took a lot of restraint on my part to not look at him and be like, dude, you you need 12 
12 minutes to, to put your gel in your hair? Well, it was also changing my gym shirt because, you know, I had just worked out so hard. I had to change my shirt, you know, throw some, I mean, do we really got to get into this deodorant, oh, you know, the, deodorant, whole, nine, yes, the whole process. Th- this yeah, is the new, I, I want to smell good smelling here. technology. I, I don't want to be smelling myself for an hour and a half. I mean, really? We're going here? <laughs> this is brutal. I apologize to everyone listening that you guys are having to lit- witness this abuse. 12 minutes. Because 12 it's really minutes, bad. 12 minutes, okay? I need 12, 12 minutes, minutes to put gel in my hair. I will be posting a YouTube tutorial on my 12-minute regimen for my and gel. It, don't act like I don't talk to you all day, okay? That's that's rude. She completely I'm working, and I day. do. An- I answer his call all the time. And he's like, do you have a minute? And I'm like, not really, but for you, anything. Yep, she does do that. <laughs> yeah, she does. She does do that. Yep, yep. So, guys, I'm constantly battling yeah, here, yeah. guys. Just, just pray, so pray for hard. me. Pray for me. Hey, and by the way, real quick, we're working on the merch stuff. I, I reached out to a couple people. We're going to try to do the t-shirt and the mug. We heard you guys on the um, on social media. Thank you for that. Um, really good response and bear with us, but we're going we're, we're gonna to make it happen. I think that's it, right? You made, you, we covered a case. Mm-hmm. You- uh, I berated you. Basically yeah. insult, insulted check, me again. Check. Uh, made fun mm-hmm. of me. Check. Um, and then we finished off with- uh, yeah, so I think we covered mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I, I feel like you know we got everything done that we need to do. Yep. Shout outs to all the speak pipes too. I've been re- listening to them all. I've been sending every single one to Stephanie. They've been really, really good. We're getting a lot of them now, but they've been really good. And we appreciate all the compliments and uh, the support and all the case suggestions. We really do. We love you guys. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you soon. Don't forget to follow us on social media and give us a five-star rating. I know some people think it's offensive that I ask for a five-star rating, but, you know, give us a five-star rating. <laughs> it helps. It helps us. If you want us to keep doing this, we need those ratings. We need those stars. Right, Derek? Tell them. Tell them mm-hmm. we need them. Absolutely. Yeah. We need them. I- I'll say whatever you want, Stephanie. <laughs> Just don't hit me. Whatever you're like you my, want. my best like paid for witness in court. <laughs> you're like, you're like, right, Derek? Right? Right? right. I don't even have to pay him, guys. <laughs> I just have to shoot him that look. <laughs> <laughs> comment down below. Let us know. Uh, comment uh, Undercover Pineapple. Uh, undercover Pineapple. We'll see you next time. Bye. Later.